Good morning, 1130. Come on. Give me energy. You guys are awesome. You're the most rested. You're the most awake and most alert. I'm here to tell you, here's the pressure I'm under today. Pastor Greg said, you're preaching the last message of the decade. No pressure, but make it good. That's what he said. Say, you guys are awesome. So now I've gone through this three times. So if I get it all together, you should get the best one. Come on, give it up for that. You should give the best one. You people are awesome. Sometimes 1130, we're kind of at the tail end and maybe we don't have energy, but I tell you what, God has been so present in these services and I'm so grateful uh, to be with you here to end this decade. And God's given me a fresh word for you and I hope it touches you today. As always, one of my favorite traditions here at Union Chapels, we stand for the scripture reading. There's only one verse today, but I want you to stand as you're able to. And I just want to simply quote Matthew 5:13 to you. It simply says, you, and I'm going to say it to you personally. Some of you I love so much, I look right at you. You are the salt of the earth. Now, Jesus is saying this to his closest disciples who have followed him. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled upon, okay? Now, before you sit down again, I know you've already greeted each other, but I want you to find two or three people you didn't say hi to, and I want you to look at them and say, you are the salt of the earth. You got to do it with energy. I want to hear, you are the salt of the earth. Come on, tell three or four people that. All right, that's awesome. You are the salt of the earth. Now, we so often read the scriptures devotionally, and here's the big mistake we make. We read them in our little world, in our little context of the Western world, in our own life, and we even read something like, you're the salt of the earth, and we start thinking about the salt we use on our table. And that has nothing to do with this verse. In fact, salt as we know it brings flavor to food. And, and, and it makes it better. And I could preach a little devotional message about you should be the flavor in the culture. But that's not what it means at all. Because in Jesus' day, there was no refrigeration. And the only way that they preserved the food, the only way meat got preserved was through the potency of the salt that preserved the food. So it was life-giving. It preserved all of life. And so when he looked at his disciples they didn't hear it the way we hear it when he said, you are the salt of the earth. They knew exactly what he meant, that you will preserve the kingdom of God. You will bring preservation to people's life. You will bring the good news of the gospel. You will tell my story. In fact, Jesus then said, I'm going to come back through the Holy Spirit and make my home in you. And you are the salt of the earth. You will be the influence in your home, in your community. And so he says to us here at Union Chapel, you are the salt of the earth in Muncie and around the world because we're planting churches all over the nation and even in Kazakhstan, we are the salt of the entire earth. And we are the preservation of this good news that we carry and this very person of Jesus Christ that we're trying to share with our communities and our own families. We are the salt of the earth. And if you get that plugged in, then you're going to plug into the formula I'm going to give you today, okay? 
If it's the last message of the decade, then I'm going to give you a formula to take you through the next decade, okay? If you want to have impact, maximum impact with your life, I'm always so glad there's young people here. If you want to make a difference with your life, the MI stands for maximum impact. And the formula goes like this. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI, maximum impact. So the HP has to do with the salt portion. You are the salt of the earth. It is your potency factor that makes a difference. That's why when Jesus said, if you lose your saltiness, it can't be made salty. It's no good for anything. If you lose your influence, if you lose your witness, if you lose the impact that you make through the potency of your life for Christ, then we're not good for anything. So if Union Chapel loses this vision that we have to change the world, then we lose our potency. So the only question to ask today is, how's your potency? Is it high potency are you waning on the low side? And the way you test your potency the most according to scripture is, are you listening to what the spirit asks you to do? Now, the last time I preached, I gave you a message. I always teach you a catchphrase and all of you have remembered it. Every time you see me, you say, I'm just doing what I do. Cause I preached a sermon called do what you do. Say it with me, come on, do what you do. This one's better, ready? Do what the spirit tells you to do. Will you say that with me? Do what the spirit tells you to do. Say it one more time. Do what the spirit tells you to do. Cause that's your potency factor is if you learn to listen to what God asks you to do. Now we just came through the whole Christmas story and we found, we found this over and over again that an angel of the Lord visited Mary. She didn't know what to do. She found herself pregnant. You know, can you imagine when she talked to, it's always my favorite thing to tell young people, when she talked to Joseph and said, hey, I got good and bad news. Well, the bad news is I'm pregnant, but the good news is God did it. Come on, people, that's awesome. That's awesome. You can blame that on God. I mean, what a visit from the angel. But she believed the angel. And you're gonna have my only son. And she listened. Mary had high potency because she listened now, sometimes an angel might speak to us. Now, by the way, an angel had to visit Joseph because he didn't believe the story. He didn't believe God did it. So he was gonna put her away quietly. That's what the scriptures say. But then an angel visited him and he had even a dream that confirmed that, yeah, the Holy Spirit did this. And Joseph listened. He had high potency. He listened to what God told him. Now, if you study the scriptures, you'll find that God speaks through his spirit but often it's not an angel. Often it's not some grander like earthquake or powerful wind. In fact, it's more like the Elijah experience where Elijah was crying out to God because he was afraid for his life. And he cried out and said, God, would you show yourself? And there was a big earthquake and then there was thunder and lightning and then there was powerful wind. And he thought God was gonna be in the big things in the, in the light show and everything. And then you know what the scriptures say? And this is what I relate to. The scriptures say, it got real quiet and there he was hiding in this rock formation they called the cleft of the rock. And guess what? In a still small voice, he heard God speak to him. Now between you and me, I, I've never heard a voice out loud, but I know one thing, the potency of my life for Christ is always tied to listening to those nudges, to listening to those impressions when God says, I want you to do this. And you feel it so strongly, it feels like words are spoken to you. Those words even form in your mind. 
and in your heart. And sometimes you might even be sleeping. I'm gonna tell some of the stories today. When God says, I'm asking you to do this. Now you can study the scriptures and you'll see the spirit of the Lord spoke all the time. And so if you want later today to read this passage, I'm gonna give you this formula and all the points are kind of out of this text about Philip. Philip was just a normal disciple. I like Philip because he wasn't one of the big three. It wasn't Peter, James, and John. It wasn't one of the inner circle. It wasn't the beloved. It wasn't the spokesman. It was someone like you and me. Philip was like the associate pastor. Come on, enjoy that. That's me. That's Pastor Glenn. Now listen, we're not nobodies, okay? But now, Pastor Glenn, he never gets a break, by the way. He never gets a break, but he got away, finally for a week. And so there was no one in town. And so when they're desperate, they say, Robin, can you be on call? We'll pray nothing happens, okay? Come on, this is funny, people. You got to enjoy this. Now I'm going to give you the order of importance here, okay? If I come to see you, it's, it's okay. I'm just on call. Usually just once a year. I'm going to tell you a neat story that just happened a week ago, okay? If Pastor Glenn comes to see you, listen, he's the best pastor in the house. So you better give it up for that. This guy will always pastor. Come on. People stopped me after every service, told me that he led their family to Christ, told me they did his family's funeral. This guy pastors unbelievably. So if Pastor Glenn comes, you're still in good shape. Now, let me just tell you something. If Pastor Greg comes to see you, you're on your way to heaven. Come on, people. Let that sink in. You don't want Pastor Greg to walk in to see you in the hospital. That means you're meeting Jesus real soon. So you want either Pastor Glenn or me to be on call or Pastor Jeff, because we're coming, we're still gonna pull you through. See, just a week ago, first part of this, the high potency, is to listen to God. And my phone started buzzing in the Saturday night service. And I was on call, so I thought I'll go Saturday night just in case there's some calls. And uh, some of you know Mac and Polly Minardi. Anybody in here? Some of you know them. I know Pastor, see Pastor Glenn does. He knows everybody. He's an unbelievable pastor. And Mac had a massive heart attack. And all of a sudden I started getting these tests. I was on call and his number. So I kind of slipped out and, and Polly, uh, finally I got connected to his wife and I, I was the rush to Ball Memorial Hospital. But by the time I got there, he was in real trouble. They had him on a flight to St. Vincent's, man. They had him on a helicopter. And so Polly and I prayed together on the phone and I thought, gosh, I got a pastor like Pastor Glenn. What would Pastor Glenn do? I said, I didn't say, what would Jesus do? I said, what would Glenn do? Come on. And, uh, and so I thought, I'll, I said, Polly, I'll come right down. Well, don't come down because he's probably going right into surgery. And so on Saturday night, I listened to her. She said, no, please don't come. And she told me her daughter was at the hospital. So I tried to find her. And then I had prayer with him on the phone. But then Sunday morning came. And I had been praying for even Mac during the night. I'd just been praying for him. And when she told me they took him to St. Vincent's, see, the reason I couldn't get him off my heart because five and a half years ago, God saved my life at St. Vincent's. I had a four-way bypass and I didn't know I was even in any trouble. And I had never met Dr. Ali, who's my cardiologist. I had never met my surgeon, Dr. Mouini. But all I know is I got on a cath table and when he woke me up, he said, I'm putting you in an ambulance. He said, you're going to die in the next couple of days, but I don't want to scare you. I'll go, oh, don't worry. You know, that, I don't know where they learn. I don't want to scare you, but you're going to die in the next couple of days. And by the way, I don't want to put you in the ambulance because it's going to be a rough ride and I could lose you on the way to the hospital, but don't be nervous. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nervous wreck by now, you know. By the way, when I got to the hospital and they rolled me in the room, he said, you're going to get to talk to Dr. Marini for just a couple minutes. He said, I'm going to walk out of this room and call my neighbor. He's the best surgeon in the Midwest. He's going to take care of you. And you're going to have a couple minutes. And so I remember they rolled me in and he came in and all he said to me was, hey, I could lose you on the table, 
but I don't want you to be upset. I said, where do they learn these things? Where do they learn these encouraging? I said, do you have any more encouragement to tell them? Yeah, he said, if I get around that widow maker, he said, I'm going to buy you 30 years. I said, that's going to be a disappointment to a lot of people. He got me for 30 more years. He obviously got around the widow maker. So uh, we had a great relationship with Dr. Green. So listen, on Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, you go see Mac because that's where your life was saved and he needs encouragement. So I walked in that room. So in fact, the Holy Spirit even said to me, don't worry, it wasn't that loud. Don't listen to Polly. Come on, that's awesome when he tells me not to listen to you guys. So I drove up to St. Vincent's. Now, what you got to enjoy is I didn't even go to the right hospital because when I went, I went in an ambulance. I didn't even know how to get there. So I put St. Vincent's in. I got a couple other St. Vincent's, but then I finally got to the heart hospital and I walked in Mac's room because the spirit told me to do it. See, what's my potency factor? Am I listening? Am I the right? And I walked up to his bed. I said, Mac, I know you don't know me personally, but I'm Pastor Robin and Pastor Glenn's out there or he'd be right by your side. He said, you know what he said, Glenn? He's the best pastor in the world. I said, well, you got number two, come on. And I said, you should be grateful. Greg's not here. That means you're on your way to Jesus. That's what I told him. Then I looked at him and I said, let me tell you something, bud. This hospital saved my life five and a half years ago. And I said, I tell you what, I didn't know my surgeon or my cardiologist. And I got Dr. Muwini. He was my surgeon. And he told me he could lose me on the table because I had the widow maker. He told me if he got around that, he was going to save my life and give me 30 years. Matt grabbed my hand aggressively. It just had great emotion, had actually some tears. And he said, I just had that conversation 50 minutes ago with Dr. Muwini. Come on, people. That's where you say, unbelievable. And I looked him in the eye and said, I'm the right pastor to pray for you today because he's going to get around that widow maker. And he, said, he squeezed my hand and said, I need that encouragement. Now he goes into surgery tomorrow morning. You people better commit to pray because I promised him he's going to get some more years, people. Come on, give me some good prayer life out there tomorrow morning. That's awesome. But here's the deal. Your potency factor is how much you listen to God. Will you do what the spirit tells you to do? Will you, will you go out of your way? See, the story that we, I tell you out of Acts chapter 8 is Philip, this normal disciple, was asked to take a desert road. He had already planned his day. He wasn't going to take the desert road down to Jerusalem from Gaza because that was, that was a dangerous way to go. No one took that road anymore. No one ever took it. I can tell you this. When the Spirit asks you to do something, just always do it. He won't ask you to take the safe routes in life. He won't ask you to do the safe things. But if you want to make maximum impact, he'll ask you to do life-changing things and connect with people. So here's the formula. High potency plus close proximity. Just say close to people. CP is being close to people. And you go get close to people and God will use you to change people's lives. But you got to listen to the spirit because you don't always know who God wants you to be close to. I told this story only in the first service today because Jim Mokel was here. He gave me permission to tell it. Jim Mokel helped me find our, our home here in, in Muncie, Indiana. Now, he was kind of on the back end of it because he'd helped me with another home. And, and Jim, in a professional way, has always been so kind to me. Jim, Jim didn't come to Union Chapel, you know, five, five, five six years ago. And so he was just in my life professionally. And... Um, 
and Jim helped me find a house. And, and it was kind of weird because one day I just felt an impression from the Lord, just go knock on the door of that house. Just ask whoever that person that lives there, if he comes to the door, just ask him to come down about 100,000 and then just sew in that you'd like him to finance you. You know, one of those warm conversations. Come on, people. You got to enjoy this at 1130. I never forget. I got out of the car, went up to knock on the door. My wife was so embarrassed. She drove away. Come on, she drove away. She's on the back with her. She drove away. I'm standing at the door and I meet this guy named Cleland. Uh, before I got out of the uh, the, the van that day, uh, or, or Tahoe, I took, I took a, a, one of my books and I gave it to him. And I said, hey, I want you to, I, I want to ask you if you'll do this, if you'll consider financing me and coming down quite a bit of money because uh, I just felt led to ask you personally. And so I gave him, I gave him that book. He said, well, you come back Saturday and I'll, I'll meet with my wife and I'll let you know. Now, see, this is where you get these nudges. Say, Why do you do these kind of things? You know? And I called Jim Mulkin and told Jim, he said, you did not knock on the door without meeting him. Yeah, that's what I did. He's going to meet with me Saturday. Well, I went up to the door on Saturday and he came. He had my book, by the way. But then he stunned me because he said, hey, you can have this back. Come on, that's a warm moment. I go, why do you? I said, no, you can have the book. I really gave it to you. He said, no, no. He said, look, my wife's here and Jenny came in the door. He said, we really would like to do this. But what we're worried about is people like you. If we finance you, every time we get a check, you're, you're, those kind, you're one of those kind of people that always talk to people about God. He said, I'm afraid you'll talk to me about God every time you see me. I said, see, you didn't read my book. Come on, people, I'm fun. <laughs> Chapter 12 is about John Yonkins, and he asked me not to talk to him about God in Phoenix, and I didn't talk to him about God for 14 years. Did you read that chapter? Stunned him a little bit. Come on, that's awesome. He said, never invite me to church, so I didn't do that. And I said, listen, I'll honor you. I said, I won't talk to you about God. And then he turned to his wife and said, see, I told you he'd be honorable if we do this. I said, well, I'm not quite done yet. I said, I won't talk to you about God until you ask me. And then he laughed because he said, he doesn't understand. I'll never ask you about God. I said, well, I wasn't quite done when you interrupted me again. I said, I won't talk to you about God until you ask me and you will. Come on, enjoy me, please. Because I just thought God didn't have me come to that door to buy a house. He wants us to be close to people. He loves people that are far from him. So two years later, here's how the conversation began on the phone. I never thought I'd make this phone call, but you told me to call you. He said, I just found out I have heart problems like you and I'm afraid to die. Would you come and pray with me? You're the only person I know that knows God. Is that awesome? See, your potency is in listening to God, is listening to God. So go back to Jim Mokel. Jim couldn't believe all this happened. He said, Robin, this is, this is unbelievable. And then Mike Lundford, who owns all of Coldwell, you know, he said, God set this up. He actually told me that before it happened. He said, he said I love this man so much. God's going to use you, Robin. So I'd had some in, impression. So I asked Jim, I said, Jim, do you, you go to church anywhere? I said, I'm going to ask you one thing. Now, here's where I got to brag on Pastor Greg. I said, Jim, Moko, look at me. I'm going to ask you to come to Union Chapel one Sunday. And if Pastor Greg doesn't speak into your life, you never have to come back. Hey, I have a lot of confidence in our pastor. Come on, give it up for him. Give it up. Now, you want me to tell you the good news? Jim said, well, that's a fair deal because I probably won't feel anything and never come back. 
I've been worshiping with Jim Mokel five and a half years at Union Chapel. Come on, you can clap for that. And last year, he always takes me out to lunch. And he said to me, I want you to, I want to say something I've never said to you. I wouldn't know Jesus today if you hadn't say, if you hadn't said to me, come and hear Pastor Greg one time. He said, there's not a Sunday he doesn't speak into my life. See, when the Holy Spirit gets involved, you don't have to do anything except listen and do what he tells you to do. And if you do that, God will use you. At the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer. God, I I will do whatever you ask me to do because that's the formula. High potency, it's judged by how much we listen to God, get close to people, and then have clear communication about Jesus. And man, it's even better if you can promise someone, you come to this place, you're going to get clear communication. Hey, was the Christmas Eve service awesome? Come on, people. Was that awesome? It was awesome. People heard the good news, the most amazing news, because our pastor connected. The most amazing news is Jesus became a human being, that God emptied himself into his son for us. All you have to do is listen to God. And if he nudges you, in fact, I'm going to ask you to begin to do what I do kind of every month, and that's just keep three or four or five names kind of in my car, on my phone, that, hey, God, I'm just open to reach out. If you open the door for these people, you place those names on my heart, I'm going to listen to you and tell them clear communication that there's good news here at Union Chapel, and he'll speak into your life if you let him. And so I'm, Jim took me out that day. It changed me forever to realize. He said, and guess what he added? He said, I knew Beth Paris for almost 30 years and she was so gracious. She's, a, she's the most awesome woman really I know. And she invited me over 30 times and look at me. I never went once and then I meet a bizarre pastor like you and I go one time. Come on, that's awesome. One time and now his whole life has changed. So you gotta listen, you gotta listen and then have clear communication. One of my favorite stories from my church at Mountain Park is um, Brad Butler and I became friends when we were 27 years old and played sports together. And then Brad followed me down to Phoenix and his was the first wedding I did. We called him Dr. Golf. He played on the pro tour a short time and then he, he became a golf doctor. He could make clubs, he could fit you perfectly. He's just an amazing guy. He invented all kinds of new things in the golf industry and works with Ping and he's just an amazing guy. But Brad, Brad really was one of my best friends and helped me start this church. But Every Christian needs to have another Christian in their life that's a little bit of a Pharisee just so you can be mad at them all the time. Come on. Brad just had that edge to him. He said, you, you know, we got to fix people too. We can't just tell them good news. We can't just share how, how wonderful God is. We have to tell them that they have to straighten up. They got to change their life. I said, Brad, we don't do that. That's not what God asks us to do. He said, well, my cousin Paula and Greg are coming to church. I've been inviting them. They said they're going to come over the Christmas season. If you get to know them, and get to talk to them, that that would really be good. And so I didn't know what Sunday they were actually there, but I guess on the particular Sunday they were there, I said, if you're new and have me over, and if you'll make me brownies without nuts, I'll come for sure. Come on. I would would try to have a little fun when I preach. Well, lo and behold, Greg and Paula were there that Sunday, and they invited me over for Tuesday night. 
And I couldn't wait to call Brad. So I called him like Sunday after church. I said, hey, they invited me over Tuesday night. And then see, I don't know why this happens, but he said, well, you better listen to me. When you get over there, you better tell them they can't live together, that they're doing something that's really wrong and they can't know God if they're living together. And I'm thinking, why did I make this phone call? Man, he's just ruining my whole life. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go over there and I'd never met them. She's making me brownies without nuts. I'm not gonna say, and by the way, you can't live together. Come on, come on, get on my side here. You guys are looking at me just like Brad. So I remember as I drove to their house that night, they lived in an apartment. As I went over, I just was having this argument with God. I thought, why did I ever call Brad? It just ruined my whole night. I'd been looking forward to this. And then I started arguing with God. I remember saying to God, God, what, what would you say to me? I'm not gonna tell these people not, to, I'm not gonna fix these people. That's not my job. And I, I, I even started yelling kind of like, what am I gonna do? And then I got quiet and I, do you ever hear voices like this? I don't know, words just form in your mind. That's, it's just a nudging, it's just an impression. And here's what the words were. I'd never said this phrase before. And here's the words that came to my mind. Not your issue. I kind of like that because Brad was a pain in the behind, you know. I said, not my issue. And I started saying it out loud. That's not my issue. I don't fix people. I start shouting it. Not my issue. Come on, help me. Say, not my issue. Oh, come on, give us some energy. Not my issue. I mean, start banging the wheel of the car. God, you're awesome. This isn't my issue. And so I got out of the car, calmed myself down. Let me, let me towel off here. That was pretty intense. That's about as intense as it gets. And I went into their apartment and I'll never forget. I thought my job is to share the good news. So I shared my testimony because I'd come to Christ in college. I told him I'd never want to be a pastor. And I told him how I planted this church. And then, then the door opened. And I remember saying to Paul, that was my favorite phrase. I said, could I tell you the greatest news in the world about the greatest person who ever lived, who made the greatest offer that's ever been made? And I'll never forget Paul is saying, that sounds awesome. And I told her a simple presentation of the gospel about Jesus. And she got tears in her eyes. I said, Paula, I just wanted to share this with you tonight for you to think about, but would you like to pray that prayer right now to ask Jesus into your life? And look at me, people. She said, yes. I remember like it was yesterday. And then I looked up and Greg, Greg had tears in his eyes. And I said, Greg... <laughs> Would you, would you like to pray that prayer too to ask Jesus into your life? Yeah. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. Was, this was magical. And you know what the enemy did, don't you? What are you going to say to Brad? You didn't fix him yet. No, that's what I was thinking. And then I prayed with Greg. And then I said, can I, can I just offer a prayer of thanks? And I was so excited about their salvation. And I prayed. And then I looked up. And Paula looked up at me and she thanked me. And she turned to Greg. And guess what she said? She said, Greg, while we were praying, God just told me we can't keep living together. Come on, somebody shout out there. Not my issue. Come on, shout it with me. Not my issue. Awesome. Now, listen, I got so excited, but I acted real calm while I was in front of them. Then I got in my car and I went, woo! I did that at 8.30. Everybody finally woke up. It was awesome. And I started yelling, not my issue. Come on, say it with me one more time. Not my, I'm not asked to fix people. I'm asked to listen to God. 
to have high potency, to get close to people and then share clear communication, CC, about Jesus. The good news, not the bad news. Oh, there's bad news. If you never give your life to Jesus, you'll be separated for eternity. But that's not what he ever asked us to share, is it? He asked us to share the good news, that if we open our hearts to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive everyone who confesses. And people are usually like one or two questions away from coming to Christ. Like the passage today, Philip got close to the chariot. He heard the man reading from Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? He got close enough to him. The man said, how can I understand unless somebody tells me? And he invited him up. And then it says that Philip began with that very passage. It was a complicated passage in Isaiah, a complicated prophecy about Jesus, but it didn't name him as Messiah. And he began with that passage right where the guy was. And he told him the good news about Jesus. We can ask the right question if we get close enough to people. You know, people are like one question away. I'll never forget when Skip said to me once in, at, at Mountain Park, he said, you know, my life is a mess. And if, if I give my life to Christ, he said, do I have to be perfect tomorrow? Do I have to clean my life up? He said, you know, I got a lot of bad habits. He looked at me and he said, you know, I'm a chain smoker. He said, can I go to heaven and keep smoking? I said, yeah, you'll get there sooner. But <laughs> see, some of you are ready to judge me on that. I said, Skip, don't worry about that. God can take, I'm, it's not our job to clean you up. God will, and God took care of that with Skip. Skip, their life was changed forever. And he would testify about how he never thought certain things could end in his life, his drinking and so on. That all ended because that's God's job. Our job is to share the good news, the good news. And then he'll take us on adventures that are unbelievable. He'll take us on mission trips like, like we go to Kazakhstan. He'll help us plant churches. He changed my life initially in Honduras. We were, we were trying to make a difference somewhere in the world and found out that we, we had a discipleship school down in Honduras and I got invited to go for years and years and never went. And finally I went and this place changed my life. I got in touch with the poor. I got in touch with villages that didn't have clean water. And we had a discipleship school and I met these young people that would plant churches. That was my initial introduction into planting churches besides the one I planted. And I met David and I met Jaime and we got clean water to villages. And David was the youngest pastor studying to plant a church. And what happened when we go to Honduras, here we were from Phoenix, Arizona, one of the wealthiest places in, 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 in all the world really. And we'd go down there and God would break our hearts. I never forget that first mission offering. We were trying to raise $50,000. And I took a guy down by the name of Paul Keeler, who was in, in charge of all food and beverage for Hilton Hotels. And it just crushed his heart. And I watched this man get on a satellite phone and cancel the building of his million dollar house. I remember it just crushed me. I said, Paul, no, you can't do that. You haven't checked with Judy. No, no. You know what he said? God told me to cancel this. And then we came back and then I saw Paul sit on the stairs of our, in the front of our church and, and we begged people to give to the missions offering that we could get clean water in maybe 70 villages. And we actually for two months quit giving to the building fund and that offering didn't go to 50,000, it went to $250,000. And God was faithful because Paul Keeler listened to the spirit. So at the time I was down there with Don Doe, a good pastor friend of mine, we found that we could get water 
clean water to this village called El Progreso for $5,000. We could pipe it down from a stream on the mountain. And I'll never forget when we found out it was only $5,000. Don and I took a vote. It was unanimous, two to zero, that we'd ask our churches for $5,000. Come on. We didn't have to, we were church planters. We didn't have a board or anything. It was a wonderful time. <laughs> and we went on the way home. I'll never forget. Don said to me, what if, what, if, what if our people don't give that? He said, at first he said, let me just ask my church, because you guys have done this before. Before we landed, he said, maybe we both ought to ask. And Don Doe called me at one o'clock that Sunday. And he was weeping so much on the phone. He couldn't even talk to me. I said, Don, Don, are you okay, bud? He said, Rob, when I ask for $5,000 and our people gave $27,000. He said, did you ask? And then I started to cry. I said, yeah, we got $32,000. The next two weeks, he was going into a building fund. He said, after the people gave this money, I thought, what have I done? In two weeks, I've got to ask them for pledges. He said, I got in my car and I said, God, did I do the right thing? And guess what he told me? He said, Robin, I've never heard the voice of God out loud but I was sitting in my car and I was still crying over this offering. I said, God, did I do the right thing? We've got this building fund in two weeks. He said, guess what God whispered in my spirit? Today, you purchased your property. It still crushes me to know they gave over a million two, two weeks later. Because he listened to the spirit. Every time we listen, God does something amazing. It's the potency of our life, how we listen. Do we get close to people? Do we have clear communication about the gospel? After I became a Christian at Anderson College, I'd never really listened to many uh, Christian speakers. And, and so, you know, church was always boring for me. I wonder why people went to church. I was in a church in Newton Falls, Ohio. Come on, you know the town needs help when the zip code is 44444. Come on. Can't be many smart people in this town. And don't worry, church was boring. I made a deal with my mom. I'll keep going to church if I can work in the nursery. That's the deal I made as a senior in high school. So I worked in the nursery. I never had to go to church, never went to the youth group. And I ended up at Anderson College. A guy named Freeman Blade led me to Christ. He was the first Christian athlete I'd ever met. I didn't know that even went together. Freeman later played in the CBA a lot. He was up at the Sixers for a few times. It's an awesome man that led me to Christ. And then I, I started listening to some speakers and they brought a guy to our campus by the name of Tony Campolo. Anybody ever hear that name? Tony Campolo. Now, if you're older like me, then you've, you've heard Tony do some special things. But I'll never forget, I was in one of his first presentations when he gave this message now that's become famous. But he talked about sharing good news with people. And he said, listen, I grew up in a church in Philadelphia that was a white church. That's how Tony tells it. He said, but then the neighborhood changed and it became an African-American church. But he said, our family didn't leave because we're Italian and we bought the offering plates and the carpet. Come on, people. That's hilarious. He said, you don't leave when you invest in a church. So he said, it became a black church. And he said, now in white churches, you never have something like this. But once a year, we had a preach off. 
we would invite six or seven pastors to come and preach. And the whole deal was to see who was the best preacher. Now you said that never happened in a white church because you guys always act so spiritual. But we wanted to know who's the best preacher. He said, I was number five on the docket that day. And he said, I got up. He said, look at me, people. I was good. I'd never even heard a Christian speaker. He said, I was good. He said, now, in a white church, you never know if you're good because they just sit there and look at you like you are right now. You're doing, you're doing real well. But in a black church, if you're good, the deacons yell, preach it. And then the elders yell, keep it coming, keep it coming. If you get real good, they even stand up and start walking towards you and raising their hand and saying, keep it coming, preach it. He said, my pastor gets up and walks towards me and just yells glory. He said, the women wave these handkerchiefs and say, well, he's got it today. Come on. Well, he said, people, I was preaching and I was good. He said, I was so good. He said, the better I got, the better they got. They let me know how good I was. It was preaching. Give me more. The better I got, the better they got. The better they got, the better I got. He said, I got so good that day, I wanted to take notes on myself. It was awesome. Only Tony can tell it like that. He said, when I got done, the place came apart. He said, I sat down by my pastor, Dr. Hoger, and I said, you're next. He said, once again, you wouldn't say this in a white church, but I said, can you top that? <laughs> he said, Dr. Hoger just squeezed my knee and said, boy, you just watch. He said, my pastor got up. And this is a famous sermon now. You may have heard it. He got up and for the next 50 minutes, he said one phrase. He began kind of slow. But the people started talking back to him. So get ready. Try to be responsive, white church. He said, it was Friday. And Jesus was on a cross. But that was Friday. Sunday's coming. Come on. Oh, thank you, thank you. It was Friday. Mary was crying her eyes out. And the disciples were running in every direction like sheep without a shepherd. But that was Friday. Sunday's coming. Oh, come on, people. You can do better than that. It was Friday. Friday, the demonic was in control. Cynicism was everywhere. It didn't look like that anybody could have victory over evil. Satan thought he had Jesus dead. Then he shouted, but that was Friday. Sunday's coming. He went on like this, on and on for 50 minutes. At the end of the message, he was so riled up, he just leaned back and yelled, Friday! And everybody shouted back in unison, Sunday's coming. Come on, give me one more chance. Sunday's coming. People, that's the good news of the God. Listen, I'm a new Christian. When I heard him say this, I thought... Where have I been? I've been in a dead church in Newton Falls, Ohio. And this guy just lit the fire inside of me that never went away. I'm going to tell everybody I can the good news about Jesus. And here's what's so powerful when you listen to the Spirit. Is that other people start listening to the Spirit. And you start experiencing it in community. Just a couple years ago. Julia knows I was down in Florida. You know, we're planting churches down there. And, and I was self-speaking one night and we were raising some money for a church plant. And we had a silent auction going on. And, I, and listen, I just told some water the odd stories. I tried to tell some inspirational stories about church plants and how Union Chapel was changing the world. Now, you guys were given so generously and some of the generous gifts that have been given over the years at Mountain Park. I was 
just trying to encourage them. And so I told some real fun stories and they were really into it. It was a, a full house that night. And after the service, after the service, I hadn't talked about my kid. Look at me. I hadn't talked about my kids. I hadn't talked about my grandkids. I hadn't talked about anything personal. I just told some stories about listening to the Holy Spirit and just doing what the Spirit tells you to do. So if you don't know how to give, just ask the Spirit and, and the Spirit will tell you what to do. After it was over, I walked down front. Mark, I know you and your wife, you're awesome. And just a real nice looking couple met me. And they were kind of in their late 30s. So they were super young, whatever, but they're late 30s or early 40s. And this woman came up with her husband. And she said, the spirit told me to tell you something. Well, I just preached that, so I had to act interested. Come on, enjoy this. And so she looks at me and she says, I need to tell you my story. It's such a strong impression from the Holy Spirit. And she turns to her husband. I'll never forget what he said. She said, honey, should I tell him our story? He said, well, that would be interesting because you never told my parents or your parents. Come on, then you don't know what's coming. She's never even told the story to anybody, not in her family. And look at me, people. She said, but I feel so impressed to tell you. She said, my husband and I, we couldn't have children most of our marriage, long, long time. We went through IVF, went through the whole thing. We spent $100,000 and no baby. And I was suffering. I had miscarriage after miscarriage. And then I cried out to God to please show me if there's any kind of way I could have a child. And almost a person a little distant from me had watched me suffer through this. And she read an article about adopting embryos that some women can't carry their own embryos. She's telling me this story, you know, and I'm just mesmerized by it. And she said, and so I followed this path. And she said, and I adopted two embryos. And she goes, I have twin girls. And then she goes, and they look just like me. Come on, people. This is an exciting moment. And these two little twins are just these cute little blonde girls. And she goes, we're in our 40s now. But she goes, I adopted these embryos. And I don't know why God wants me to tell you that story. But it's, it's powerful. And I said, I said ma'am, I don't know what to tell you. But I said, I don't know if you're telling my son's story and his wife. They'd just been married for three years and they had some miscarriages and, and nothing was working and they were in IVF and they had spent $40,000. And I kind of unloaded this and I said, look, I, I, and she looked at me and she goes, can I call your kids? I go, well, that's a little aggressive, okay. I said, you don't even know me. I, who would I tell them is even calling, you know? And I said, why don't you let me make a call? And so because of that experience, I made an initial call. And so look, Brady, I don't want to be invasive or any, you know, I don't want to be a good dad, but I, this woman just told me this story. Well, this week he told me the whole story that happened is he said, Dad, Alicia started getting, after that call, she started checking into this. And she met a doctor in Virginia and, and she's from DC and she does some work back there. And she, more than anything, Dad, she, she just prayed for a baby. And, and she met a doctor that said, you're a perfect candidate to adopt an embryo. I never even heard of this, you know. And he said, Dad, let me tell you something. It's been the unbelievable joy of our life. So let me introduce you, if you'll throw it up there for me. Let me introduce you to Ellis. Is he awesome or what? Come on, people. That's the place you say amen. Praise God. And then, show the other picture. Yeah, put a few of them up there. That's a beautiful little boy, Ellis. He's awesome. But let me tell you something. Then my son said, Dad, I've never told you this, 
But Alicia leads a small group. In our house, there's over 20 women now that are dealing with infertility. And she developed a community on Facebook of over 100 to 150 people. And they connect all the time. You remember when you came to see Ellis a couple weeks ago? She went to Orlando for some business training. And she met with a woman that she's been a pen pal with. And they had a baby at the same time. And she got to meet Ellis's friend. He's a little boy too. The same time, the same age, nine months old. Come on, God. God is awesome. If you listen to the Spirit. And my son's awesome because he said, you know, dad, I'm wired up completely different from Alicia. Don't you love it that opposites marry? Don't you love it? He said, dad, I wouldn't do any of this. I'm not writing anybody. But he said, she is listening to what God tells her to do. And she's touching hundreds of lives. She's building this whole community across the nation. Is that awesome? She's got potency power, people. She's listening to God. She's staying close to people. She's writing. They're exchanging baby books. They're reading to their kids. They're telling the story. All because she's listening to God. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm just going to ask you one more question. Would you pray this simple prayer today, but mean it with all your heart? God, I will listen to what you tell me to do. At any age, God will tell you to do something. He will tell you very clearly. He will impress something on your heart. He will place names on your heart. He will place things that you can do. This is why we're planting churches. He impresses on you to be generous. You're the most generous church I know right now. Would you pray the prayer, God, I will do what you ask me to do. In fact, right now, would you whisper those words? God, I will do what you ask me to do. I want to be a high potent, Christian, I want to be the salt of the earth. If you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand all over this place? Hey, you want to make maximum impact in the next decade? This year, you people are awesome. Just pray it every day. God, I will do what you ask me to do. And he will use you at whatever age you are. And you will have remarkable experiences. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the responsiveness of this church. Thank you that you're an awesome God that speaks to us and you impress things and you give us words that change our life forever. It's not our issue to clean people up. Lord, it's the good news. (laughs) Sunday's here. You're risen from the dead. You've made your home in us and you're speaking clearly if we will listen. And I thank you, Lord, that you're such an awesome God that talks to us personally. God, I pray for miraculous things to happen in this coming year. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.